You're listening to United Q Podcast. We're brought to you by ProQ, Kamado Joe, Thermopen, and Smokewood Shack. ProQ's extensive range of bullet smokers, reverse flow, and gravity-fed smokers will suit all, from the home enthusiast to the big volume caterer. Kamado Joe, the king of ceramics, is renowned for build quality and innovation. When smoking, roasting, or searing, get that great barbecue taste and keep the moisture locked in. Thermapen Instant Read Thermometers. Take the guesswork out of barbecuing with the super fast Thermapen. Smokewood Shack delivers quality smoking wood every time. They provide the smoky goodness, you provide the talent. This week's show, we have got Michael Maluli from Desora. Hi, Michael. How are you? I'm doing well, Ben. Thank Good. you for having me. No problem. Thanks for coming on. Um, lots of people already are aware of your work and probably know the name Desora. Or if they don't, they kind of think, "Oh, where have I heard that before?" But they're going to see a lot more of that name, and we'll bring it bring it all up to speed now. So, Desora are the the team behind the I command for Kamado Joe and behind the hyperbolic insert, which is in the Pro Joe, uh, the Classic Free, and the Big Joe Free. Um, you guys are the awesome science behind barbecue, is how I would like to describe you, I think. <laughs> Th- thank you for that. Um, you know, I, I, that's absolutely right. Um, you know, we're sort of the people behind the hyperboloid shape. Which originally, you know, if you go back one step, started at Harvard. Um, this is all Harvard technology. This was developed while it was there and was actually licensed from the university itself. Uh, so you could think of the Zora as a company that was formed to sort of bring this Harvard invention uh, and commercialize it. And uh, we sort of partnered with Kamado Joe to do this because we thought they were the best. Um, be happy to get into this in a bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so before we get too deep into that, let's, let's take it right back a step. And can you tell us the whole... Actually, I want to go even further back on this. Let me just learn a little bit about Michael first. So what's 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 Michael's background? <laughs> okay, <laughs> thank you for asking that. Um, so, you know, I graduated from Harvard a couple of years back. Um, it's where I got my undergraduate degree. Um, but originally, I am from Lebanon. Um, you know, I was born in the States, grew up here for a bit, uh, but I studied at a Jesuit French school in Lebanon. Uh, so not, not the typical barbecue uh, environment. Um, 
And, you know, I grew up in a family of engineers. My grandfather was an engineer. My father's an engineer. I'm an engineer myself. Um, and I went to Harvard to sort of study it. Uh, lo and behold, I met, you know, this wacky professor. Uh, he'll kill me if he hears me say it. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, uh, Professor Kevin Kit Parker at Harvard, who sort of took me from this engineering mindset and said, hey, you know, you probably would like barbecue. Um, so I, I was actually formally introduced to barbecue for the first time ever my uh, junior year of college in a class taught by uh, uh, my now business partner, um, Professor Kevin Kit Parker. And I sort of got into barbecue uh, then. And I'm, I can tell you this. This is maybe the most addictive thing I've done. Uh, I, I tend to have an addictive personality, uh, you know, but when it comes to barbecue, you know, I, I'd say when it started junior year, it was, okay, this is something that's super interesting to now doing it on the weekends because this is my ultimate stress reliever. <laughs> so, uh, so that's a little bit of my background. And now I run Dezora. Uh, you know, Dezora is this tech company. We're based out of Boston, uh, Cambridge. Uh, and we formed this company right after graduation. Uh, and it's basically the collection of the smartest people I knew uh, out of school um, that could do really hardcore engineering we sort of assembled it, um, and and that's where we are. Cool, thank you. So, uh, just quickly before we move on, is Lebanon known for any barbecuing? Well, actually, funny that you asked. They are uh, not barbecuing, but grilling rather. Yeah. Um, you know, I've seen some some people on the Joe try to do some kebabs. Uh, you know, that essentially is what Lebanese barbecue is like. Um, and we do it on charcoal. So we get this really long, uh, you know, metal shaped, um, it's almost like a Weber. Um, we light the coals, you know, get them completely lit, complete combustion, and we put on the kebabs. Uh, you know, people tend to do that almost every Sunday. Uh, so it's not exactly barbecuing and it's not, you know, it's not exactly grilling somewhere in between. Uh, but that's, you know, the extent to which Lebanon is involved. Perfect. Yeah, that that's what I had in my head as a kind of Lebanon Lebanese style of food. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Right. So, let's, tell us the kind of story now of how Desor. Well, not even how Desora formed. I guess it's tell us this story about the whole project of you coming together and you had to design like the the world's best barbecue. I guess. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I briefly did mention it. Um, if you want the exact date this idea started it was probably in 2010 um kit who was uh you know who who, who was at the liberty bowl in tennessee uh was sort of strolling around uh, in the tailgate and was looking at all these barbecues and you know he was struck by how many different types there were and, uh, people were very proud obviously of their barbecues but he thought hey you know how about i try to bring in some harvard science into this so he, he went on about a three-year barbecue tour uh, you know, stopped at various pitmasters places, barbecue joints, uh, and then decided to give a class on it. And the point of the class was, you know, can we get 13 students who, some of whom have, don't know what barbecue is, uh, and try to design a better barbecue um, using these basic science principles that are taught in all engineering classes. It's the same engineering class that you'll take, you know, at Boston or any other engineering school. 
Um, but let's see what we can do in it. Um, and Harvard is great because they throw a ton of resources at you. And students are very fortunate to have that. So as part of that class, we had access to unlimited resources, computing resources, which is something we relied on heavily. So um, during that class, we sort of said, okay, how are we going to go about designing this barbecue and using fundamental science? The first thing we tried was try prototyping it by hand, but saw that would be a little too slow. So we decided, hey, let's try and use computer models that are usually used for, you know, the, at NASA or Airbus or Boeing. Um, and let's try to accelerate the design process and try more things in the computer as opposed to, uh, you know, molding it by hand. And as soon as we struck on that, we started innovating pretty rapidly in that class. So we went through... I don't recall how many designs, thousands of hours of barbecues. And at the end of it, we had designed in a computer and validated with a prototype a shape that we thought was going to change barbecue. And that shape was the, was the hyperbolic insert. Uh, and all that technology was developed while we were students at Harvard. Um, you know, the class got a fair bit of press. And when you're, you know, in a class and you, you're talking to New York Times, Wired, it's the world to you. It's, you know, it's incredible. Um, but Kit, you know, saw a little bit further than that and said, hey, this science is really hardcore. And this brisket is some of the best I've ever tasted. Mind you, he was a KCBS chef, <laughs> barbecue chef back then. Um, still is. So let's try to actually make this, you know, an actual product, a company. Uh, so we spent senior year sort of, you know, toiling through and continuing to innovate on the, on the product. Uh, it was Kit, myself, and, a, and our third founder, Yinka Ogenby, who was a student in that class. And we said, okay, uh, let's now license this technology from Harvard and continue to develop it. That was around early 2017. We had just graduated. Um, and so what we did was we spent about a year continuing to do this on a commercial scale, uh, prototyping, continuing to simulate and then Bobby Brennan, I had never heard of before. I'd heard of Kamado Joe, but never Bobby Brennan, uh, reached out to Kit and said, hey, I think what you've done is amazing. Uh, let's try to work together. So then we sort of formed this partnership with Kamado Joe where they came to us because they saw the value in the science, but we really saw innovation there. You know, If you want to make barbecue, if you want to make your invention sort of part of the fabric of barbecue, we thought, what better company to do it with than Kamado Joe? Um, so that was, you know, end of 2017. We had signed a 120-page agreement with Kamado Joe to license this technology, and got to work um, on on you know commercializing the Projo. Um, you know, I, thousands of hours of simulation went into designing the Projo. Uh, you know, we collected millions of data points. We were we were running smokes in like terrible Boston winters and had these really high tech, you know, temperature sensors uh, that were measuring a temperature data point every second um, on there to sort of validate the design. We went through a ton of iterations to get it right. Um, but then we, we launched the Projo with the hyperbolic insert. How, and when, you, when you're talking about data points and you, you're, you're collecting them, like how, how does this actually happen? Like what does that even mean? Yeah. So, you know, our training as engineers, 
we had worked quite a bit in these Harvard research labs. And, you know, these are simple thermocouple machines, but they're really high resolution. So you can go out and get a high resolution research lab grade thermocouple sensor that can measure a temperature data point at whatever interval you set. Technically, we never set it at a second. We set it at 900 milliseconds. And we sort of plastered about 36 probes uh, on the surface of the grill plate of the Projo. And the point was our simulations were being, you can enhance the heat distribution at the grill plate by inserting the hyperboloid insert. And so after we designed it thoroughly in our simulations and we had sort of what the heat map looked like, we were looking to validate that. You know, at the end of the day, doing something on a computer is great, but it only provides so much value as what you test in real life. So we bought these really expensive thermocouples and set it up on, on a Projo, and we started running smoke after smoke after smoke after smoke, sort of collecting all this data and, you know, applying the same type of rigorous measurement we would have in a research lab. And we used that data to essentially validate, hey, our simulations were actually right. This hyperboloid insert actually works, and the time to change barbecue, um, essentially. But that's what we did. Yeah. So, so uh, what did it just work? Like, were you that confident that you were like, bam, we've we've designed it. It's worked on a computer. Stick it in. Well, hey, yeah, it was all good. Or was there like, actually, now we need to go back. We need to change this. We need to do that. Yeah. So listen, it it, it takes a lot of time to get to a stage where you can say. I'm about to run a simulation and what it's going to spit out is going to be close to reality because reality is very different than what you're putting in a computer. But mind you, these models we've been, we had been building for about two and a half, three years. Um, so that wasn't the only point where we sort of took our models, um, which are proprietary models and validated them against real life. Right. Um, so to, to answer your question, we ran through, I would say, you know, probably a few thousand hours of simulations, tweaking every last bit of the hyperboloid shape. I mean, we were working on a centimeter at a time or an inch at a time uh, for people in the U.S. Um, so once we had come up to a final design, we sort of prototyped a couple. Um, and, and put up uh, on the Projo. To be honest with you, the first try, we sort of nailed it. Now, it took <laughs> us four or five months uh, to refine the models, um, but we had gotten what we needed uh, in terms of observing it on the actual insert, and it's, it's all it took. And to be honest with you, that was the theory behind why we focused so thoroughly on the models. Instead of doing what everybody else does is just guesswork, and making a couple and then saying, okay, this one works best. We sort of said, okay, what are the first principles? How do we design so that we don't have to go through a lot of hardware iterations and we can get a better answer? So can I, in, in really simple terms, so the hyperbolic insert, what does it actually do? So it's, it's a shape, so, and you put it in, it's an insert you put inside the, the, the project or, or any barbecue. And what does it actually do? Manipulates the airflow or manipulates the transfer of heat? What yeah, no. does it actually do? Great question. So here's the simplest way of putting it. Please. You, you, <laughs> yeah, you buy a can of Coke um, and you open the can of Coke and you drink it. 
There's Coke only inside the bottle. It hasn't gone everywhere. You take that can of Coke and you shake it as hard as you can and you now open it. You're going to have fizz everywhere, right? And all you've done there, it's the exact same can of Coke, you've just changed the pressure profile inside of it. Now, what we wanted to do with the barbecue is apply the exact same basic principles of physics. Let's change the pressure profile to get some other outcome with a fluid. The air, in the example of the barbecue, is a fluid. It's the same, it's a, which is equivalent to the fluid, which is the Pepsi or the Coke, yeah. in your can of Coke. Now, as soon as you put in the hyperbloid inside of your barbecue and you light your charcoal, it creates an area of high pressure underneath the hyperbloid's plate. Now, that area of high pressure builds up pressure as, as your heat increases. And so what happens is the fluid, which is the air, ripples out of the tiny opening that we have around the hyperbloid plate. And as it comes out, the air profile now, same as the fizz, is very different. It gives you essentially what are called eddy currents, which is a cyclonic type airflow mechanism that circulates around your food and stays around your food before leaving. So what we had done essentially was change the pressure profile and, and change the surface area of the opening in such a way that we could create these eddy currents or the cyclonic airflow. Without, Is that simple enough? Yeah, without having to shake a projo, which would be quite hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 500 pounds. You'd need Eddie Hall for that, I guess. <laughs> so, so we're saying that it's, it's changed the pressure profile. Is that right? Pressure profile? So we're right. changing the pressure profile below... Well, I guess it's changing it through the whole of the inside. It's not just below the hyperboloid, is it? So if you change it below the hyperboloid, it changes what the pressure is going to be out, you know, on mm. top of it. Yeah. Uh, so the pressure delta there is what's driving this. Yeah. You know, in, in a normal situation where you have a normal deflector plate on there, uh, you're not constraining air in any shape way or form so you're not changing the pressure profile inside of it yeah with the hyperboloid insert when you put it on your firebox you know, and we have a simulation of this up on our website you have an area of really high pressure that develops underneath the hyperboloid then outside the hyperboloid in that surrounding around it it's a medium pressure profile and on top of it on top of the hyperboloid is a low pressure profile and that sort of gives you, you know, an, an eddy current, uh, which is a cyclonic airflow. And and how how could you how do you like prove that that do, by doing all of that it's going to make better barbecue? You know, great point. Um, I'll I'll start. I'll take a step back here and <laughs> and, um, and sort of explain why we were looking for this. Yeah, because I guess if, if someone was coming up with, if someone came to me and Dan and said, hey guys, um, we want you to create the world's best barbecue, I, I, I don't imagine that the first thing we'd think of would be that. Yeah. <laughs> Probably you second know, it, or third. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> Fair point. Uh, to be honest with you, it started with, with brisket. So we looked at that and said, okay, how are we going to make 
a brisket that tastes better. And so the first thing someone will tell you is, you know, when you have brisket, the smell of barbecue and that bark and the smoke ring is so important. So naturally what we wanted to do is try to increase that smoke ring as much as we could at the very beginning and make that bark, you know, taste better and thicker. And, um, and we could do that with rubs. But we said, hey, let's standardize the rubs to SVG so that we can optimize the barbecue. Um, and so as we said, okay, we're trying to make a, you know, a, a better bark and we're trying to get more smoke penetration. Let's find a way to keep the smoke around the, barbecue, or around the food. And that's sort of where we started toying with, okay, what shape will allow us to get higher residence time of smoke around a piece of brisket, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that was the original concept. And so when we, when we came up with the hyperboloid shape, we started seeing these eddy currents. And we understood sort of, you know, this was caused, uh, you know, this is causing the bark to increase and the smoke ring to increase. And we tasted it on the barbecue. We said, that's the winner. So let's just optimize this shape. Mm-hmm. Cool. So as well as as well as like uh, smoke around that area as well, so it holds the heat around the area. So you get a good even heat distribution. So does it also? I mean, what about efficiency of the barbecue? Do you, do you need less? Like, uh, do you need less of a fuel source, for instance, to to for the amount of heat? It's not going to increase the amount of heat, but it's going to distribute the heat better. So does that affect anything like that? Correct. It, it, you know, it's going to distribute the heat better. Um, but to be honest with you, ceramic barbecues are insanely efficient, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm not, yeah, I don't think efficiency is dramatically increased. You might see a minimal increase in efficiency, a decrease in the amount of fuel needed. Um, but to be honest with you, when you're cooking in a ceramic cooker and one that's like, you know, pretty darn airtight, um, you know, efficiency is not your concern. Your concern is right. how do you remove a heat discrepancy um, and uneven and non-uniform heating? How do you resolve that issue, not how do you increase the efficiency of your barbecue? Yeah. A question that we've been asked by a couple of people about it is, is when we're saying it creates like a smokier flavor, I guess, we're saying should people use less smoking wood if if this is actually creating more smoke inside it? Are we getting to where if you used to use three chunks of wood, are you now going to be like, oh, actually, I think we probably only need to use two chunks of wood now? So it'll depend on, uh, on you know, how smoky someone wants their food. But for less amount of wood, yes, you would get smokier food, right? Because what you're doing is you have higher residence time of smoke around your barbecue. Now, I will mention this. The bark develops in the first few hours, right? So there may be, um, you, you know, if you wrap your brisket at the very beginning, which nobody really tends to do, uh, but that could affect it, for instance. But if you simply put a piece of brisket on there and less wood, uh, you'll, get the same, you'll get the same smoky flavor. Um, you know, and I don't know if you guys are curious about this, but I can point you exactly to what compounds we were trying to increase there um, to get that flavor development and to get that bark that's being built 
Yeah, that's cool. I've never heard like ev- obviously everything you watch now about if you watched a video of how to get the perfect brisket, it's never going to be a scientific explanation, is it? It's going to be a do it for this long, then wrap <laughs> yeah. or inject it with this stuff and then do this and use this rub with a bit more sugar in it. And so, yeah, no one's actually <laughs> thought about it. To, needs a bit more uh, pH 7. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, essentially that's what we did. So you know, as part of the class, we were we. This is like extremely nerdy, uh, but we were trying to look at what you know forms bark, and there are these compounds that are called formic acid and acetic acid, and these derive out of something called cellulose. Cellulose is a building block of your wood. So when your wood is combusting below seven hundred Fahrenheit, somewhere around the three fifty to the five hundred range. You have your cellulose that starts to decompose into what's called acetic and formic acid. Now, these acids are key in sticking onto your bar on, onto your you know piece of barbecue and forming the bark. Let's say brisket. So what happens is once the air, which contains these volatile compounds, comes into contact with your brisket, these compounds will be deposed. They will stay onto your brisket. Now. The more compounds you put onto your brisket, the, the more they will penetrate into your barbecue and the thicker the bark that will form. Um, so that's for the bark, right? Uh, and you know, getting your temperature right and getting your wood to combust early on is important. Um, so when we say acetic and formic acid are formed somewhere between the 350 to the 500 range, that's happening in the first few hours. Then when your wood gets hotter, you start having decomposition of something called lignin. Lignin is another building block of your wood, and it's this like huge compound. Uh, but once it breaks down, it starts making aromatic compounds. And this is where your flavor comes in. So one compound that people might be familiar with is called guayacol. And guayacol is essentially what gives you this barbecue taste and smell. And so that happens after the bark has formed, and you still want residents of the smoke around your, around your piece of barbecue so that you can have as much absorption of guayacol onto the surface. Now, if your barbecue if you, is too moist, there's too much water on the surface, this might sound pretty simple, but it, it actually is true. These compounds will just slide off, and you won't get as thick of a bark, and you won't get something to smoke. So that's why when you, you, know, you apply a rub, you're making sure there's the right moisture level on there so that you can form that great bark. Um, and so when we were looking at these compounds, we actually were measuring them. So we were collecting that, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen people collect it, you know, that um, smoky uh, condensate that comes out of your top vent. We were collecting that, and we were looking for these compounds in it. Uh, and we were sort of seeing, okay, when is it increasing over time? When is it decreasing? Um, and ha- changing the shape, how, how is it changing the concentration of, this, of these compounds that end up outside of the barbecue? So it's funny, the, the number, like you're saying, like 350 kind of goes against nearly everything that people in the kind of low and slow world, they're all cooking this magic number of 225 Fahrenheit. But you're saying yeah. that 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 number's not in the range that's optimal, really, for creating what you're trying to achieve. 
that's the temperature of the wood actually. Oh, okay. So the yeah, sorry. Okay. Drill yeah. will stay 225. Yeah. But your wood will get hotter. So will your coals. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. So coals. it's not. Yeah, it's not the oven temperature. It's the actual fuel source temperature. Exactly. Exactly. And that temperature is just the actual local temperature of the wood itself. This is Very awesome. Yeah, I need. I feel like this is. Um, I feel like we should do a test with everyone at the end. <laughs> there will be a test to follow this this podcast, so uh, look out for that. <laughs> I think I'm going to fail, even though I'm here. <laughs> Talking of tests that you fail, yesterday I had to go to, I had to go to a. I won't say the brand, but I had to go to a head office of a brand in the UK, and to get in there, you had to like go through a health and safety form and like tick all the boxes. And I just did the usual thing of blah blah blah. Next, next, next. You got to the end, and there was actually a test, and <laughs> you, had to, you had to do a test, and I failed it. <laughs> so I had to go back and redo the whole thing again, and and it, that happened a couple times. <laughs> and it was all about like weather, weather. I know it's all it's all good stuff. It's all health and safety, but I was not expecting to have to do a test. So everyone else can now do a test on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy I'm not one of your listeners, then I'm so done with that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gee, um, I, I, on that on that note, I, I imagine that we'll get quite a lot of questions to us about about this because I think like, I can think of loads and loads of questions. I'm looking at the time and thinking, oh, we've only got a couple of minutes left, and we could talk about the science of barbecue with you so much more i'm interested to know like is brisket the only thing that you've focused on for tests have you tried other meats as well we've tried other meats but this was the first uh and most important piece of meat that we that we worked on the reason being you know most of your listeners know this it's a very anatomically diverse piece of meat you know you have the point and the flat and the fat cap and it's all very different um Mm -hmm. So the reason why we focused on it was we said if we can cook brisket, we probably can cook almost anything else. So when we're testing, we're not only testing anymore with brisket. You know, we use pork butts, we even use ribs. Um, But brisket was sort of where it all started. It was the original Mm. piece of meat. Yeah, so I'm I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm blown away by it all and I just can't wait to actually get hold of it and start using it and seeing this difference because we've been we've been talking about it for ages now and it's just so cool that now they're actually like the projos are here i've seen some in the warehouse we've set some up i haven't actually got to cook on it yet but it's only a matter of time <laughs> um, and then we've got classic freeze and big joe freeze on their way so people are going to start to be able to use this technology now really soon so it must be quite exciting for you for spending these last what, how many years now this is quite a lot of years of research and Three work that's, yeah, yeah. that's gone yeah. into this yeah. and finally now you're actually going to have people starting to eat food using this device that you guys have all come up with listen we're very excited uh but to be honest with you this is just the beginning we look at the broader food space uh, and the cooking space we've never seen anybody or any user base that is so interested in the science and that is pushing innovation as much anywhere. Uh, it's this weird thing where we expected barbecue to be maybe the simplest, but ends up having, maybe it's just the people it draws, uh, 
but maybe the most sophisticated of user bases when it comes to understanding how their food cooks and what they want to do. So hopefully, you know, when people start using you know, the hyperbolic insert, they start seeing the, the advantages and that spurs a bunch of ideas. I want to see more people, you know, take this engineering approach because I know absolutely I've met a lot of people in the community. There's a lot of scientific talent. Um, so we're just excited to see what this does for the barbecue industry. And yes, if, if people enjoy it, that'll be, you know, awesome. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, and yeah, you're right. Like we, the amount of people that we have on the podcast that are professionals in the barbecue world, and now we could be chefs, could be competition barbecuers. The amount of these guys that are actually techies or <laughs> geeks or science bods or wherever they want to call themselves, it's it's huge amount of people that are in the same industries. It's it's crazy. That it seems to appeal very much to that mindset already, and I think that. The product you've developed just further feeds that addiction with all those people. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're excited. Absolutely. This is going to be fun. Yeah. So we haven't even got onto the whole I command story yet, but right. I think that we should probably save that for another day. Uh, obviously, I commands, there are, there are some out there now and people are using them. Um, the app's got some great little recipes on it so you can you can download the app now and that's live and there's lots going on with it but we're we're not going to see it in the uk officially until the new year i think is that right yeah that, that's right you know i do want to mention a quick word on the i command and sort of explain the philosophy behind it we, you know launching it originally this was um maybe the most humbling experience we've had um you know, obviously there were issues that some some users had, um, and there were hardware issues that needed to be fixed. And on the Fourth of July, although we had tried to prepare for it, our servers went down. Um, but it's been getting way better. So on Thanksgiving, I'm happy to say we had a higher load than we did on the fourth. Not one outage. Yeah. Everybody was cruising. Um, on the app itself. You know, we've pushed about six or seven updates since. We've changed the information you have access to when you're cooking. We've given you the ability to turn on probes, turn off probes, uh, you know, see what the fan is doing. And we fully intend on doing this, right? When you buy an iCommand, it's right, you're buying a piece of hardware once. Uh, but the software you're getting, you're also getting a commitment that it's going to keep being improved. And it's not only meant to be a controller. We're fine with it being used as a controller at the very beginning, but the app has a couple other pretty exciting features in there. There are recipes that are prepared by Chef Eric and that are updated on there. You know, this is also going to start to accelerate once we launch the product in Europe. We're going to start putting on more recipes. And eventually, when people come around to it and start using it as a means to interact with their Joe, we hope that they can also, you know, Make it. It can help make their lives more convenient. There's a store. There's a store tab on there that if you want to, for instance, order charcoal and you don't want to go all the way down to the store, you just want to do it from your phone. You can do it there. Uh, but the point of what we're trying to achieve with the I command is larger than just controlling temperature. We really want to try to give users a positive experience, a way to interact with the Kamado Joe brand, uh, and we'll, we'll hear feedback. So if any of your users 
um, if any of your users want to send some feedback of, hey, we've seen uh, said and said feature, but we'd like X and Y, please do it. You know, we're all ears. We're listening um, and we're accommodating as quickly as we can uh, to keep making this thing better. You know, I want your users to know there are people behind the actual product that are ready to make enhancements to it to give them the experience they want. And you don't see that very often. Uh, but with as committed of a user base, it's only right that we be as committed um, of you know engineers on the back end. Awesome. Amazing. Yeah. Well, thanks for giving Sorry, up some of your time. Up. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, thanks for giving up your time today, Michael. And if people want to read more about the story, they can go to desora.co and check out your website. And it's got some more stuff. And like you said, there's some visuals about the pressure profile changing inside and all of the innovations that you guys have been working on. Um, so we'd love to get you back on again. I think once we get the eye command out and we'll get some questions in from people and we'll talk to you again. We'll get, get even geekier, I think, if that's even possible. <laughs> Listen, that, that sounds great to me. Thank you for having me. Uh, you know, huge fan of the podcast. Uh, this was fun. Great. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks I'm again. to do some homework oh, before the next one. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We'll do, we'll do. And don't do not do that test, then. Not a good idea. <laughs> I know you're tempted. Yeah. All right. Cheers, mate. Appreciate it. Cheers. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. You're listening to United Q Podcast. We're brought to you by ProQ, Kamado Joe, Thermopen, and Smokewood Shack. ProQ's extensive range of bullet smokers, reverse flow, and gravity fed smokers will suit all, from the home enthusiast to the big volume caterer. Kamado Joe, the king of ceramics, is renowned for build quality and innovation. From smoking, roasting, or searing, get that great barbecue taste and keep the moisture locked in. Thermopen Instant Read Thermometers. Take the guesswork out of barbecuing with the super fast Thermopen. Smokewood Shack delivers quality smoking wood every time. They provide the smoky goodness, you provide the talent.